Our gospel lesson this morning comes from the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took her as his wife, but he had no marital relations with her until she had born a son. And he named him Jesus. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Please be seated. Well, welcome back for almost everybody here except the Carlisles. This is your first in-person Advent service for those of you who are here. And for everyone online, this is our second week of Advent that we are celebrating together. Last Sunday, we looked at what it means, this incarnation that we celebrate, that God took on flesh in the person of Jesus and came to live and dwell among humanity. We discussed Jesus' kingship and the upside-down nature of that kingdom. And then we talked about the hope that we can all experience here and now because Jesus brought us a glimpse, a foretaste of that kingdom when he came to earth as a little baby. Carlisle family lit the candle of hope for the first week and centered our hearts and minds on this season where we wait and prepare and anticipate the coming of Christ once again. We are so grateful for the Stewart family for lighting again the candle of hope and today the candle of peace. When I've thought about peace this week, there's one thing that continues to come to my mind over and over again. And it is a prayer and a blessing that the youth say together by the leadership of Leanne at the end of youth each week. And this is common across a lot of UMWs, across, wait, UMW, United Methodist Youth Fellowship. There's a lot of acronyms in Methodist Church. But this is a common blessing that people say together, and it comes from the Old Testament book of Numbers, chapter 6, verses 24 through 26. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. And the reason this has been particularly in my mind this week is because when they say it, they cross their arms, right over left, and form an intimate circle. You're very close. You don't have a lot of wiggle room when you're crossed like this, holding hands with the people beside you. And Leanne always encourages them that on each you in that scripture, you're supposed to look at somebody different. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift his face upon you and be gracious unto you. And in that way, it's a really great way of actually blessing each other and asking God to give you peace. And on the 
all spin out of the circle and go back to our respective cars to take us home, but not before they all have blessed each other and asked God to give them peace, God's peace. The peace reference in this scripture and this blessing is about more than a life without chaos or war or pain. The peace reference in the Old Testament in the Hebrew Bible comes from the word shalom. And this peace means wholeness and completeness, soundness. It is a peace that's so much greater. It refers to a state of being rather than something we momentarily attain in this life. So when we speak about this type of peace, when we ask God to give each other this type of peace, this shalom, we're talking about a gift that only God can give. This is a divine peace, a wholesome, all-in type of peace. And when God gives us this peace, God does indeed save us from a life that is only chaos and despair and pain, and instead gives us something holy and lasting to focus on instead. So when we ask God to give us this peace, to give one another this peace, we're asking God to make us whole, to restore us, to reconcile us to the people we were created to be, and to reconcile creation to what it was intended to be. So throughout Advent, we give thanks for these divine gifts, like hope and peace, that only come because God came down to earth. We remember this peace and wholeness is available to us every day, because Jesus was not only a king, but also a savior. The only one who can give us true hope, peace, joy, and love. So today, we're going to look at what it means that Jesus is our Savior, and why that is so, so important. So last week we read from the Gospel of Luke, and Luke begins his Gospel by assuring readers that Jesus is the Messianic hope, and that indeed he came from the line of David. The Gospel writer Matthew does the same thing. The very first verse in the book of Matthew, we started in verse 18 today, but the first line says, An account of the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. So both of these gospel writers want to remind us and assure us without a doubt that Jesus is the one, the messianic king, the hope that they have been waiting for for hundreds of years. And then Matthew takes us back to the beginning, to the very beginning when Mary and Joseph find out that they are going to have this divine, holy child. But instead of telling us from the viewpoint of Mary, Matthew tells us from the viewpoint of Joseph. We are told that Joseph was a good and righteous man, and that he and Mary were engaged, but they were not yet living together. So you can imagine his surprise and confusion when she becomes pregnant. And so because he's a good man, he decides that he will dismiss her privately and not shame her for this, because I'm sure he assumed there was some infidelity that had taken place. But before he could do that, an angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him something very important about that baby and about Mary. The angel says that the child is being born from the Holy Spirit and that he is to be named Jesus. The name Jesus would have meant even more at that time than it means to us today. You see, Jesus is an Anglicized version of the Greek version of his name. So Jesus in the Hebrew would have been Yeshua, 
which perhaps you've heard before. And that comes from a combination of the personal name for God, which was Yahweh, and the word for God saves, God delivers, Yesha. So when you put those two things together, Yeshua, or Jesus, means God saves, God delivers, God helps us in our time of need. So Jesus' name, from the very beginning, the title he was given, points to his role in the Incarnation. This message from the angel reassures Joseph that Mary's pregnancy is not a result of infidelity, but the action of God through the Holy Spirit in order to save God's people. Perhaps you have heard people talk about being saved. Perhaps you talk about the day you were saved, or the day that you placed your hope in Christ, or the day that you became a Christian. All of these things kind of mean around the same time, and for my life, I can't remember the exact moment that I knew for sure that I was saved or a Christian. I grew up in the church, and I, I just don't remember a time before feeling assured of this relationship I had with God and with Jesus, and of course my parents and grandparents are a huge part of why I had that confidence in Jesus and my relationship with him from a young age. But even still, I can promise you that I got saved over and over again because I just didn't think it took the first time. So I would go throughout my life, you know, feeling really sure about this relationship. But then if I was mean to my sister or sassy to my mom, I just wanted to make sure I was saved one more time. So I would ask Jesus to save me again. And this happened again and again and again. If I would go to a Christian event, you know, we had, we had revivals at the church I grew up in. And they would tell these amazing stories about how they were living lives, not following God, and then they came to God and got saved. And there would be an altar call, and I would go forward and get saved again. Just because I wanted to be sure, without a doubt, that I was saved. And I have to say, I don't think I quite got it. I don't think I quite understood what being saved meant. I think if you had asked me, as a child, in that moment, what I thought being saved meant, I thought it meant that for that moment, I was not going to get the punishment I deserved for my sin. I was not going to have to endure the punishment that I should have gotten because I'm human. I didn't fully understand that the salvation that Jesus offers, the saving nature of Jesus, is so much more than just assuring that you're okay if something were to happen. So now, today, I still, of course, believe that Jesus saves us and does give us relief from the punishment we deserve. But I also believe that the salvation Jesus offers is so much more than that. It's more than just saving us from our impending doom without God. The saving that Jesus offers is we're talking about his willingness to deliver us, to rescue us, and to help us in our times of need. And that happens each and every day. During his time on earth, Jesus had a mission statement, and he was really clear about this. He told his disciples that he came to seek out and save the lost. Jesus came to earth as a tiny baby and grew into an adult to redeem and reconcile humanity back to God. Jesus came to save people and to give them the opportunity to choose him back. But this does take some action on our parts, because Jesus doesn't force us to be saved. 
And in a world where we like to do things for ourselves and we really value independence, it can be hard for people to acknowledge that Jesus has something that we can never have on our own. You know, I love apps like Pinterest and all of the do-it-yourself, the DIY products that they have online. You know, if I went home today and I thought to myself, I would really like to make an apple pie that tasted like my grandma's house. Since I can't go to my grandma's house right now, I'm sure I could find a recipe that I could make by myself at my house, and it would taste at least similar to my grandma's apple pie. If I want to make a bookshelf, and I'm not a super handy person, but I can find instructions online with a video tutorial teaching me step-by-step -step how to make a bookshelf. And I can do it by myself. I don't need anybody else. I can do it on my own. If I decide that I want to get in shape without going to the gym, without any equipment, I guarantee I can go online and find a stick-step guide to a full-body workout that I can do at home without spending any money and without going anywhere. We are a culture that likes to do it ourselves. And it's because of this culture that Micah and I, my husband, recently bought a camper. It is a vintage camper from the 1960s that perhaps has not had any love or care since the 1960s. <laughs> it needs a lot of work. But we got it for a really good price, and we said, I bet we can do that ourselves. I bet we can demo the inside and renovate it. And I'll have to let you know in a couple months if that turns out to be true or if it's overly ambitious, as perhaps our families have suggested. But we want to believe that we can do this for ourselves. We have the internet, we have instruction manuals, we have tools at our fingertips. But then again, this season of the coronavirus has reminded us that there are some things that we cannot do for ourselves and for our loved ones. As much as we want to, we cannot ensure that our family will remain safe and sickness, from sickness, from cancer, and from a global pandemic. As much as we want to, we cannot protect our loved ones from experiencing the evil and pain and hatred that exists in our world today. And as much as we want to, we cannot predict what tomorrow holds what the next hour holds. And always the biggest is that no matter how determined we are, no matter how hard we work, no matter how good we try to be, we cannot save ourselves and attain an eternal, a path to eternal life with God. Sure, we have tons of scriptures that give us a, a little help, that show us the laws to obey. We see the example of Jesus and we know what we're supposed to do. But without the grace of God assisting in that, we cannot save ourselves. We cannot will that to happen. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift from God. Not the result of works, so that no one may boast. Again, I say, this is why we need a Savior like Jesus. The life-changing, saving grace that Jesus offers to all of us is something we could never fix or make or order or buy online. It is something we can only receive with gratitude. And when we know in our hearts that indeed Jesus has saved us, then those other things we can't control, like sickness and 
bullies and the uncertainty of the future become a little less scary because we are affirming that God is our deliverer, our rescuer, and our savior, helping us in all of our times of need. Each year when we come to Advent, we have this wreath and these symbols and these themes that help bring us back to the beginning, to the beginning of Jesus' life, to the beginning of the story of Christ on earth. And when I think back to the beginning, a verse that comes to mind is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. The giving mentioned in that passage, it's not just about Jesus giving his life on the cross. It's also about God giving us the gift of Jesus on earth in the incarnation. Because in the incarnation, God did what only God could do. God sent a Savior to heal and redeem humanity. And through the incarnation, God extended salvation to all people. It is available to everyone. And this is God choosing to save us from sin, hopelessness, meaningless, despair, and ultimately death. There are two main things I want you to remember as you go throughout your day and your week. And the first is Jesus' name. I want you to know and to remember at your core that when you say the name Jesus out loud, you are affirming an essential truth about our faith, and that is that God saves. If you get in a situation where you feel helpless or hopeless, if you utter the name Jesus, you are affirming once again that God can save you. God can help you. God is already with you in that moment as our Savior. And the second thing is that the salvation Jesus offers is so much more than protecting us from the punishment we deserve. If I could go back and talk to my younger self about that saving, I would assure that little girl that she did not need to keep asking over and over again. Just like in baptism, we believe that God keeps God's promises, it is the same with saving. Of course, that doesn't mean we go and do whatever we want in life, but we can be assured that when God makes a promise, it is a promise that will be kept for all time. Thanks be to God for sending us this Savior that is with us today and every day. Amen. I will now invite you as you are able to stand and together let us affirm what we believe with the affirmation of faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead, he ascended into heaven, and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life of everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I want to thank you once again for being here for worship this morning. For those of you in person, for making your reservation and being here. For those of you watching online, 
please know you are welcome to come here in person anytime. Those sign-ups will be available at 2 o'clock today. I want to thank both Bemis girls, Elizabeth and Jennifer, for leading us in music, for Leanne leading us in liturgy this morning, and to the Stewart families for leading us in lighting our Advent week. I also want to say happy birthday to Allison Shivers. We are so happy that you chose to spend that year in worship. So, oh, and of course, John Miller. I'm sorry, I'm so used to John being here with us. You know, we've been doing this together for so long. But yes, of course, we are so grateful for John, who continues to bless us with these services across time and space and technology. We are so, so grateful. So after the benediction, Leanne will lead out this front door, and I'll lead out this front door. And so you can exit this way, and we hope to see you back next week. So now receive this benediction. May you go from this time and this space assured that Jesus is a Savior. May you go in that peace today and all of your days. Go in peace. Amen.